0: Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore and this is the third episode in our criminal justice reform series. In episode one, we visited with Damian Shade and Ryan Ginsler from the Oklahoma Policy Institute to discuss data points of the criminal justice system here in Oklahoma, where we're at, how many people are behind bars, the crimes and other factors that led to them being there, and the disparate impact on different communities in our state. In episode two, we spoke with criminal defense attorney Brian Jones to dig a little deeper and to get a personal feel for what it's like for someone to interact with the criminal justice system for the first time. Using the example of a simple drug possession charge, Brian walked us through the fines, fees, and faults of our current criminal justice system. For episode three, we are turning our attention more fully to the potential fixes for this broken system. We're joined by Oklahoma State House Representative Gary Mize, to discuss recent ballot measures such as state questions 780, 781, and 788, as well as some other bills that are being discussed by the state legislature. Now, this will be the final episode in this mini-series. Next week, we will begin our next podcast series on the topic of gerrymandering and redistricting. It's legit fascinating and admittedly somewhat frustrating, We have some great guests from both Oklahoma and other states to help explain how our democracy got so messed up and what we can do to fix it. But more on that later. For now, let's hear our conversation about criminal justice reform with Representative Gary Mize. All right. Hey, welcome back to Let's Pod This this episode is as part of our criminal justice reform series, and we are joined by state representative Gary Mize from Guthrie. Hello, sir.
1: Hello. How are you?
0: Well, so in this episode, we want to give listeners somewhat of a recap, a reminder about state questions, 780 and 781, uh, how they came to be and and what they did. Um, so representative Mize, you were newly elected in the legislature- um, you've been there, as of this recording, just a little over a year. You were elected in November of 2018. Tell us a little bit about your involvement with that issue, and, and if you can, a recap of those of those two measures.
1: So I was elected in, in November, uh, obviously my primary in June of, of last year, and then, and then the general in November. So we just finished up our first session. Um, so those were measures that I was talking about when, when I was out campaigning, but I also, uh, voted on, uh, 780 was, um, moving felony possession to a misdemeanor, uh, for, for, uh, drug possession and 781.
0: So the 780 ideally results in savings to the state and that savings is supposed to be rolled over into treatment programs for substance abuse. Yeah, is that right, Scott? Yes. Scott is squinting as he remembers. Yes, I believe that is the Only, case. Only like seven months ago. So yeah, so those were the two measures. But I think 781 is the one that gets most of the press because as of yet, we haven't seen any money go towards treatment programs from 81.
1: Right. Well, and you know we had an issue or we're, we're currently seeing this play out in the courts right now with right. the uh, opioid settlements. Right. Um, and earlier in the year, there was a settlement with Purdue. Yeah. So Purdue, Mm -hmm. um, and there was some questions and concerns about how that was handled, where that money went, um, and who was directing it.
2: (laughs) I think when you, when you look at 780 and 781 and then 788 together, those have, I think, those that's a really interesting landscape for criminal justice the criminal justice system in Oklahoma in Oklahoma right now. So so 780 and these were and you said seven months ago these were in 2016, bro. Oh well, <laughs> I meant two years and seven months. That's right, clearly. Right. <laughs> so 780, exactly like you said, representative uh, 780 took took simple drug possession and some minor property crimes and reclassified them from felonies to misdemeanors. And then 781 told OMEs Office of Management and Enterprise Services and says that that office is supposed to look at those changes. From felony to misdemeanor, calculate how much money that's going to save the state of Oklahoma, and then direct those amounts into a fund that's used by county governments, right, mm. to provide substance of use and mental health services, mm-hmm. right. So those are that's kind of one set, but then you also have seven eighty eight, right, which legalizes medical marijuana and kind of changes the landscape of. Mm-hmm what just having marijuana on your person mm-hmm. looks like and now you've got people who are incarcerated for something that either was a felony is now a misdemeanor or is now no longer a crime like at all right
1: well yeah and you have this the the nuance of 788 and the way in which it was proposed and communicated as medical marijuana but the way that it was written Oh yeah, and it's, really, the the end product is yeah, it's more of a recreational yeah. marijuana mm-hmm. bill or yeah. law. So you have you know you have that nuance to the whole situation.
2: So that's that's the backdrop under which you came to office to uh, <laughs> try and, and sort sort all this out. So so what has what is that like?
1: You know, there was there was a committee. That dealt with that, and we would hear about what was going on. Obviously, you could be a part of that as much as you wanted to, but if you weren't on that committee, you had plenty of other things to do. So
2: this is the uh, this is the joint working group, the joint right. the joint
1: committee. Um, <laughs> we didn't hear that very often. <laughs> yeah, a few of us giggle, but um, you know, I I I think that they did the best that they could do, and are still going to work on that issue. Um I I mean I think it's naive to say that just because it was a vote of the people that you're not gonna have issue with that. Well uh, the
0: particularly seven eighty eight didn't didn't articulate every detail of what needs to be articulated for how this law is implemented right. and and the rules surrounding that. And so there's been this extensive like rulemaking process
1: the work that they did you know if if i understand a fair amount of it was around packaging labeling mm-hmm. seed to sale tracking so that it what we have in this state isn't taken over by you know marijuana from another state right. or you know people people coming in trying to manipulate sure what right. we have what we have here
0: right for example the law says it's got to be tested but there was no or the the measure said it had to be tested, but there was no stipulation about <clears throat> testing for what, who tests, how often, right? At what stage, who's the authority to over to oversee that? What's too high? Things. What's too low? Yeah, right. What that? the yeah the, <laughs> yeah, the, the physicians <laughs> like? What is a dose exactly? Yeah,
1: right. So um, so he's had this open framework, yeah, with 788, and they've really tried to put some guts to it, right?
2: But, I feel like it's, it's interesting because a lot of, you know, we're talking about criminal justice reform, right? And a lot of, like, the work that, you know, a lot of, the, all of the state questions have dealt with, like, substance use in some measure, right? right? And, like, most of the work that's happened in the legislature on criminal justice reform has had to, I feel like, has revolved around the issue of substance use, right? Would you say that's accurate?
1: Yes, some. Um, I mean, we had, we had... Well, the two that we were talking about before we went live, which I'm sure we'll get to, we'll, we'll get to again, but two of the bills that I carried, one of them, you know, was specifically uh, dealt with with substance abuse, possession with intent to distribute, mm-hmm. uh, but the other one was sentence enhancement. So there's there's a few different nuances, obviously, to criminal justice reform and uh, several ways that you can go about it, tackle it, make change, affect change.
0: So tell us a little bit about those two. Uh, those two measures?
1: So I had two bills that I carried this last session. Uh, it was House Bill 2009 and then I believe it was House Bill 1100. I, I think I'm right on that. But um, 2009 dealt with sentence enhancements. So we were we were going to decrease uh, the sentencing on repeat offenders from two times max sentence of the original offense to one and a quarter. And then possession with intent to distribute on House Bill 1100, what we were seeking to do there was just getting a more clear definition in statute of what possession with intent to distribute looked like. Because and, there
0: there wasn't a definition in statute. Correct. Or it wasn't clear. Correct. Right.
2: Like there's not a law that says if you have, and let's we'll use, I have, I, I have no idea how much drugs is a lot of drugs. It was more um, subjective like I than objective. You know, I just, yeah. But so I'm making up numbers here. But like, like you might have like, uh, well, last week when we were talking, uh, or on our other episode when we were talking with Brian, we used the ample, uh, example of uh, Andy getting arrested for marijuana, so, which he hasn't. But <laughs> if he did, let's say that he got arrested and he had is a gram of marijuana. Is that a lot? It's a little. I have no idea. That's like, like one joint, I think. Okay, I, well, according well, to the billboards I see selling it. Well, these so days. so let's say let's say let's say that Andy got arrested and he had five grams of weed on him, right? One person could say that that's possession just for use, right, of himself, and then somebody else could say, no, 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 that's in, in, in a possession with intent, and that would be up to like some some combination of like the police officer, like the arresting officer, the attorneys involved, sure, right, like it's very, the ju- like it's very subjective, subjective, yeah, as opposed yeah. to like written into law, this is how much it is.
0: I or my next door neighbor, my freshman year, was in a friend's car and they got pulled over. And he had marijuana on him in a little baggie in his pocket. And it was enough for him. But because it was in a baggie, they said, This is evidence that you intend to distribute this. And he was like, No, no, that's just, I just don't keep loose weed in my pocket, you know, like, and, (laughs) and so it enhanced his charge. Um, Yeah. And um, even then, I mean, I was, you know, 18 and didn't know anything. And I was like, That doesn't seem fair, right? Like, how to.
1: Well, and if, if you have not walked a mile in those shoes, Mm -hmm. then you don't think about those things. So when I was presented with this bill, it wasn't, it was actually one that I took over uh, mid session, but so I had to, I had to kind of get read up on it really Mm -hmm. quick and there's still obviously more to learn. But if you have not walked a mile in those shoes, you're learning every, everything from scratch. I mean, I just didn't know what all was involved with that. So it's a, um, and measuring device, baggies, the actual uh, drug or substance itself and then several other factors. So when we talked about what they were trying to do was just get a clear more clear definition in statute of what that looked like, it seems pretty simple. And we well, were talking about that too before. Sometimes it sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't.
2: And the and the it matters, right? Because the difference in punishment, right, is, is significant, right? Like the difference in yeah. having 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 weed on you because you're going to smoke it and then having weed on you because you're going to sell it to people or cocaine or whatever the case may be, like that's a marked difference in terms of how much time you might spend behind bars, et cetera.
1: Well, yes, and and um, and I understand that. I think most people can understand that, right? I'm doing harm to myself where I intend to do harm to others. So, you know, I, I, I think most people – would understand that that point is not lost on them. But we understand in this day and age, it's, it's just not simple. Um, yeah. so you, you need, I think you need that clear, de- clear definition. Right. Totally.
2: I mean, cause my point would be if we're looking at, if it's a sentence of two years versus a sentence of 10 years, I mean, we should be really clear about what causes you to get a sentence of 10 years. Like there's, sh- to me, there shouldn't be that like subjectivity of like, well, maybe it's this much or maybe well, it's this much.
1: Especially if we've identified in this state that, um, we're leading in a metric that we probably sure. shouldn't lead in. Right, sure. Um, you know, I, I didn't go into this session really with much of an agenda other than I wanted to try and help and do some good. Um, but being a new legislator, uh, I wanted to observe and pay attention and figure out what my lane was. I heard that as a piece of advice from a number of different people, but criminal justice reform was something that sparked my interest and caught mm-hmm. my eye from a couple of perspectives. One, you know, just the way in which I was raised and I believe now and try and live my life. It's an opportunity for us to reunite families, if we can get it right, mm-hmm. right now for these individuals, uh, a second chance, a hand up, not a handout, um, but get them the help that they need yeah. from a mental health standpoint or substance abuse standpoint, but from a fiscal standpoint and what I've done in the private sector, you know, when we look at someone's individual financial plan, we're looking at money coming in and money going out. Oftentimes, if it were just an issue of the money that they had to create income for when they're voluntarily unemployed, they didn't have any expenses, money, mm-hmm. you know, then get money going out. Then we could create a retirement plan for you. But a lot of times, you stub your toe on the fact that you have expenses that exceed the income you can generate. Well, we can only do so many things to create revenue without taxing, which nobody likes. That right. right? Um, Well, I need to take a look at my expenses as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's a matter of am I willing to do this together with people that don't look like me, that maybe haven't lived like me, that come from different experience and background? Am I willing to make some concession and see if we can figure that out?
0: Right. So as we, I think this last year, once these laws were passed and they're being implemented, Uh, as Scott alluded to earlier, there's just the realization that, Hey, like this stuff has changed from how it was three, four, five years ago. Right. That, that there are now people that are in prison because they, they were sent there for a crime that is either no longer a crime or the punishment for that crime has decreased dramatically. And, as we look at our state being the top incarcerating entity, like in the world. Right. So how do we, and our, and our DOC facilities being,
1: um, no, in terrible shape. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Just, you know, overextended uh, in every way. It's like, well, here's a way to relieve some of that pressure on the, on DOC, but it's not as simple as just like going down the roster and just letting folks out. Like there's, there may be some of that, but there's a lot of enhancements and things that complicate and muddy the waters. So, what did you see this year or where are we in this effort to make things like retroactive
1: i think what well, this is what this is what i saw this was this was my experience so um we were talking about how new the legislature is right um, i think 80 85 yeah, percent it's has four years or less so yeah. there's some institutional knowledge that yeah. is that is just not there right um, not that it won't come back, yeah. Um, but it's just different. So, an understanding of who all's involved in the process, what that looks like. So, in in my research of, I talked to DAs, ADAs, I talked to attorneys, I talked to a couple of judges, because I wanted to have an understanding, not just from one side. I ne- I needed to understand both, and I mean, I could sp- you could spend a ton of time. Um, two, three, four sessions. I mean, we've been working on criminal justice reform as a state for several years and making strides. Um, uh, But these two bills that I mentioned, they were priority bills. But even even if we would have, as a legislature, passed all of the priority bills that the groups brought forward, it wouldn't have changed. I I think it would have just stopped growth, so we would have flatlined. We wouldn't have decreased. So there's still a lot of work to do. We've seen other states make strides before us. Um, I think it's important. I think you can learn from that, right? What did they get right? What did they get wrong? Um, but it's, again, I think you have to understand who all is involved, how they're involved, Am I what? and what are the unintended consequences. Am I making somebody's job harder? Mm-hmm. Are we getting it right? So are we allowing, because like you said, you can't just go through the list and Say okay, you get out, and you get out, and you get out. Right? Um, are we getting it? Are we getting it right? Right. And does it make? Does it affect change?
0: Sure. So um, <clears throat> maybe looking ahead to the 2020 session, undoubtedly criminal justice reform will be another topic. Especially it's election year, so there's um, vested interest on, on probably both sides to talk about it. And and as you said, a lot of work that's yet to be done. Yeah. What do you? what do you think will be the direction that the legislature takes and specifically anything that you were looking at?
1: Well, I think it depends on, uh, I think it depends on what happens here over the next few months. So we just filed for interim studies. Mm -hmm. I think the Senate's deadline was today, if I'm not mistaken. So those will get, um, sorted through and we'll see what comes out of that. I know the governor, um, put together another criminal justice reform task force. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the classification or reclassification council. Um, so there's a, there's a number of pieces that are moving. And like you said, it is something that everybody's talking about, right. you know, traditionally speaking, that wouldn't be really, uh, or get a whole lot of play on the, on the Republican side. Sure. Um, some, but, it, but over the last few years, it's continued to gain in, in, popularity you're hearing it not only at a state level but on a national level that people are talking about criminal justice reform and and you're see of course you see the stories you always see these stories the feel-good stories of somebody that um is getting out and then doing good in society and Mm -hmm. being reunited with your family i think we can do that a lot you know i think there are many opportunities for us to do that yeah but i think I i believe it important also that we when we're talking about this criminal justice reform and reuniting families and relieving pressure points on um, our our corrections facilities, am I am I really helping people so that they have an opportunity to reintegrate back into society? So providing housing, jobs, you know, an opportunity for them to Success Because a big part of that, especially if it's addiction, is I'm not going right back into the same situation that I left or landed me in this situation. Um, and then you've got the whole debtor's prison issue and bail and you know, right. all of that. I mean, yeah. there's there's a number of different plates that are spinning there that if you can do it right and you get everybody in the room... Or, or some legislators that really understand how it all works together or, or mm-hmm. they work together well enough. You know, I think, I think you can do it holistically.
2: I think, I think yeah, I, I agree. I think one of the things, and this is something that, you know, we were talking about beforehand that you definitely kind of ran into this year. It sounds like, you know, you had two bills, uh, priority bills worked on them, right? They, uh, they got through the house, they got through the Senate, there were Senate, there were some changes made, you know, Ultimately, neither of those ended up getting signed into law, right?
1: They did not. They're live rounds, ready to go
2: for um, for next. Because you know, we're, we're f- for for those playing the home game, just a reminder: uh, this is still the 57th legislature, so we've had one session. Right. We'll have the next session of the 57th legislature. So, bills that were you know that didn't make it through this time, depending on depending on some kind of nuances of the rules of the legislature, right. then come back. Uh, they can come back and be heard again and kind of go through the whole process this next time around in uh, starting in February. But what do you think, I mean, because you're right, you know, like people are talking, people on the left are talking about it, people on the right are talking about it. Um, criminal justice reform is a big issue right now. But here we have two bills that kind of went through the whole process that are good bills that couldn't get there. Sometimes it seems like everybody's on board. I mean, the 780 retroactivity was a, that almost happened with 780 retroactivity, right? Like, yeah, every, everything was looking good. And then it was like the last week of the legislature and it was on the calendar and then it wasn't. And then the Senate goes to recess and then there's a caucus and they come back and there's a vote and there's no debate and they pass it and it's done. it's like, holy shit, what the hell happened? Right. (laughs) Like, you know, like, you know, there was like, you know, there was some stuff going on behind the scenes. Um, but sometimes it seems like even when everybody's on the same page everybody wants it to get done and you get everybody in the room, like there's reasons that it, that it still doesn't happen. So I guess where I'm kind of leading with all of this is, number one, just as a, a freshman, was it surprising to you to see some things play out like that, right? Like to see bills that you've worked on and that you know have broad support not quite get over the finish line. And do you think that the political will to move forward on some of these things maybe is going to be there in the next session of the fifty seventh?
1: I I believe so. I believe it is. Um, I, and I alluded to the newness of the legislature, and and um, you know that we we have that same newness in the in the governor's office. Um, Good governor, I think, doing a good job. Popular, um, made some good calls and some tough calls. Um, you know, history is always the judge of good and bad. I'll,
2: I'll say, I'll say bad. You don't have to say bad. Yeah. I'll say bad. He made some uh, good calls and he's made some
0: bad calls, <laughs> like like we all do. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah everybody. Just, everybody same, same does. Thing. Sure. Same thing.
1: But I, be, yeah, I believe so. I, 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 I think that. But you have to find your voice. Right. So one of the things that I saw and if you look at the bills and you look at the percentage of which of them are amended uh, amendments to existing statute and which ones are new, you know, a huge percentage of them are amendments. Yeah. And it's taking care of unintended consequences one way or the other. Sure. So when you're talking about a subject like this, maybe it's a little heavier. Sure. Um. There's more on the line. So, uh, but there's more on the line both ways, right? If I get it right or wrong. Yeah. You know, somebody, I'm either reuniting somebody's family and changing that family's life forever because, you know, somebody's back in the home that hadn't been there, uh, learned from their mistake, or I'm letting somebody out that, you know, doesn't need to be out. Right. So I think it's important for those that are listening to understand that when these, Sections of of incarcerated folks are are being evaluated. It's with public safety in mind. You know, we're not looking at violent offenders. Um, now, there's 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 some of there's there's still work to do there sure. with the classifications yeah. of, of some things in in Oklahoma, which that was kind of a surprise to me. But yeah. violent, and nonviolent. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: Can you talk a little more about that?
1: I'll speak generally about yeah. it, but you know, domestic abuse and strangulation, nonviolent right. in the state of Oklahoma. Even okay. though it's
0: clearly violent.
1: And, well, I can't and, think of any more violent right. than to look you in the eye while I'm strangling Strang- you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, it seems I, pretty violent. You know,
2: I'll be also uh I didn't know that. I did not know that domestic violence and strangulation are considered nonviolent offenses. It is astonishing to me. I mean Well, I
1: wouldn't I, I don't want to say domestic violence. As a whole. Okay. I was just in the realm of domestic okay. violence. So, yeah. if I. Okay. Right. If,
0: so, two things. One, as a note about this in the legislature, is that former Representative Scott Biggs, right, who was, I mean, in many ways, like, I would say the champion of criminal justice bills, not reform bills necessarily, but he was a former DA and was a very law and order guy. Um, he, the reason that he opposed so many. For what I've been told by former legislators is that the reason that, that Biggs opposed so many uh, reform bills is because of things like this. He was like, "Listen, yeah. we can't do it because this is classified classified incorrectly, and if we say all nonviolent things, that means you're going to let some violent people out of prison, <laughs> right?" And right and and I was like, "Oh, and but I was like, well, why not change that one issue and that issue like strangulation is in." like 80 something different statutes. And so it's like, and we have a single subject rule. And so it's like 80 bills would have to be dedicated to change it everywhere. Um, and that's a very tedious process. Yeah, it is. So so,
1: I didn't know that either though. When, when you get, when you get into it and then somebody, so you think you're going to move forward, right? Mm -hmm. Then somebody comes at the last minute on the way to the floor, on the way to (laughs) committee. Yeah. And they say, hey, I don't know if you knew this, but <laughs> you strangulation is... picked a, you picked is, a hell you know, of a time to tell yeah, me. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So... This would have been just, super yeah. helpful a week ago. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, and, so just well, a, and that's a tactic sometimes. <laughs> sure. That's true. You know, but
0: And just, this is not a fun fact, but a fact is that, I'll say it this way, if a man puts his hands on a woman's throat, even once, like, whether it's just on her throat or, like, actually trying to choke her, that woman has, like, I'll get the number wrong. It's like a tenfold right. increase in the chance uh, that she will die. That she
1: will actually that he will come back and, and actually murder, murder her yeah. at some yeah. point in her. Like, yeah, I heard that too. Um,
0: we should. There's some folks that that are dealing with like domestic violence stuff, and and rates in Oklahoma are super high, particularly female deaths from right. that. And when right. I listened to, I think Scott Mitchell had a podcast about it. And they were talking about,
1: it, and I was just floored. Yeah, it's through the it, it's through the roof, yeah. and it's scary. So to go back to that point, I mean, I think it's you you got to know that, and, and because you don't want that unintended yeah. consequence on your right. hands, um, nobody does. And I don't say that. Li- I mean, I'm, right. I mean Yeah, that's yeah. in all seriousness. So um, that's the that's the depth and breadth of what you're doing there.
2: I do want to come back. And say not, and this is not even not even like a, to something you said, Andy, about uh, Representative Biggs, and like that he's a very like law and order guy, and I obviously know what you mean by that. Mm-hmm. But I think one thing that's important to to just like say and put out there is that I think, though, that even people that are very kind of on the opposite side politically, right, or even opposite side of policy of where Representative Biggs was when he was in the legislature, I think they would say that they're law and order people too. Oh right, right like. Like, nobody is wanting to just, like, let people do whatever they want, right? right? It's just a question of, like, one, what should be a crime, what shouldn't be a crime, and two, if you commit a crime, what is the, like... I think that, to me, and we were talking about this a little bit before the sh- before the, we started recording, like, a lot of this is getting at, what is the fundamental purpose of the criminal justice system, right? Is it to... Yeah, that's the, a good question. Is, it, is it to punish yeah. the offender? Mm-hmm. Is it to protect society? Mm-hmm. Is it to protect the offender in some cases? Like, is it a combination of all three? Yeah. Like one thing that's really instructive to me, I think about this a lot is the word penitentiary, right? So you may know where the first penitentiary was built in the United States.
1: No, but I believe you're gonna tell yeah us. yeah so so it was in so it was in, uh,
2: so it was in Pennsylvania and it was the first time that they'd ever used the word penitentiary and they it's now I forget the name of it because it was closed in like 1978 as a like absolutely notorious prison that was holding right. five or six times what it was built for but at the time that it was built it was a state-of-the-art facility that had like very like big spacious well-lit rooms for inmates um, it had kitchen facilities it had classrooms Um, It had high walls around it, but they called it a penitentiary because the word, like the root word was penitence, right? Right. Like it was supposed to be a place of like learning and reflection and reform Mm. and betterment so that when you kind of were released, and that's why they did away with the term prisoner and the term inmate, right, was to, so that when people left, they would be in a better place than they were before. Whoops. Right. (laughs) Right. And that's not, we don't have that. Right. And that's like, and yet we think about like, does anybody think that happens at the state penitentiary McAllister? Right. Like, you know, negative. Um, And so I just, I, for me, that's something that I feel like is, you know, is important that all of us, as we're talking about these things, like keep in mind, like what, like what problem are we trying to solve?
1: It's a good question. And, and it goes back to something I think that I referred to, you know, am I willing to walk a mile? in someone else's shoes while I'm going through this process to see about getting it getting it right giving yeah. me them a, another chance right you know
0: earlier we were talking about retroactivity and what happens if we let folks out of prison right and we we can't just have a big list and let everybody out because
1: I don't I th- even know if they have that list. Well, honestly. they probably I mean, don't, that's yeah. part. That's part we've alluded to that with the Department of Corrections, but the the right. underfunding there and the you know lack of well the state of the state of the jails. I mean, yeah. some of them are.
0: Well, we lost that. There's a, a someone that's been saying in Oklahoma County that no one had She hadn't gone to court. No one had called or checked right. on her for like eight months. Yeah, just hanging out. I mean, not hanging out like losing life, right? Like right. just slipping yeah. by. Yeah. So there's kind of two things and we didn't say this explicitly but as, as we've been talking we, we, we said there needs to be a mechanism, a review, a process by which this retroactivity is implemented so that people are released and discharged from prison and, and whatever happens with their records, like expungement or whatever has needs to happen, happens in a thoughtful manner for a couple of reasons. One... Um, to make sure that we don't unintentionally release folks that that society or that the system deems that they need to be in there, right? So violent criminals or people whose crimes were legitimately the reason they're there. We need to make a plan for when they get out of where they're going to live and how they're going to get reintegrated in society. And back in the 60s, 70s, when the model in the United States shifted away from these mental health institutions, right? We had a bunch of asylums that we would lock people up with mental health issues. And it came to a big breaking point, right? Where they shifted away from that to the community model. But in many places, Oklahoma in particular, we had, we were, a, I will use the term um, intentionally like a bit of a dumping ground for folks with mental health issues. People would ship them here and um, house them in asylums. And then this happened abruptly where they literally opened the doors And just kind of said, go out, go get a job, go find a place to live. And not everyone made the jump to like an actual community-based treatment facility. And so a lot of folks ended up on the streets, right? And so that is one of the reasons that Oklahoma has such a high incidence of of mental illness, particularly in our homeless populations, is that it's this um, carryover from what happened 40, 50 years ago. And we don't want to make the same kind of mistake now, right? Like we know that... We know that now if someone is released from prison, they are unlikely to, like, make that call when they get home. Of Like, I need a call and set up my yeah. doctor's appointment and yeah. that kind of thing. And so we've got to have some foresight and at least make uh, an effort to make sure that they get the right connections.
1: Well, would they, would they make the call? If they had health insurance, if they had access right, to care, right. I mean, they all of this, right? Cause we we're ta- we're going to be talking about Medicaid well, expansion right. this next session. Well, but,
2: and I think there's things that are right. even, I mean, that's a fundamental, right? Like that's fundamental. Like would they make the call to health insurance, but like, let's just say somebody who's been in prison for, let's say they've been 10 years, right? So it's 2009. So they were incarcerated in 2019. They get out or 2009. They get out. <laughs> right. Like. The way you access information, like how you contact your doctor, oh yeah, has changed yeah. fundamentally in the last ten years. Right. And two thousand nine, it had changed fundamentally in the ten years before that, yeah. right? Like, I mean, nobody was using phone books ten years ago, right? But even the internet is different; it's a different place than it was ten True. years ago, right? Like, yeah, apps, absolutely, yeah. apps didn't exist ten years ago, right? Yeah. Like, you couldn't send a message to your primary care doctor through the healthcare app on your smartphone, right? Like, that yeah. wasn't a that wasn't yeah. a that wasn't a thing. I think especially in today's world as fast as technology changes like how we do things, right? Like we talk about Twitter and Snapchat and Facebook like they're just part of life, but none of those things existed I'm dating myself, but like and you too. Uh, yeah, really <laughs> like did. no, you're none right. Of, none of those things existed when I was in college. Oh yeah. Right? Like smartphones, smartphones weren't a thing until I'd been out of college for 2 years. So for someone who's been incarcerated for 10 or 15 years, You've like, missed out on. Well they don't they don't they don't have like they're missing a like fundamental skill set. Yeah. Right. Like if you were incarcerated in nineteen eighty and you got out in nineteen ninety five, there was a whole bunch that changed, but you still looked up a phone number and a phone book. Right. Right? Like you still had a quarter, a quarter still worked on a payphone. We've kind of undergone this like fundamental shift in how you access and use information and if you've been in prison for really even part of that, you've missed a lot. So to give a, a real life
0: example from here in Oklahoma to illustrate your point uh, so I work with uh, as our listeners probably know like work with people with uh, HIV and AIDS okay and as they cycle in and out of the criminal justice system our grant program our federal programs can help them if they're at the county level because they're still personally responsible for the cost of medications and once they move into DOC custody DOC is responsible for all their health care right and we've got we do telemedicine so we can like keep them in care they can get their medications And all that, which is the key to surviving. And then once they're discharged, they typically, they used to get a few months of medications. Now it's, they might get 30 days, usually two weeks of meds. And then like a phone number. If we're lucky, we've got, we know their discharge date and they've got an appointment with us. But more often than not, that's not the case. So they'll be discharged from prison in some other city, right? Like they will get out in granite and then have to find a way to get to Oklahoma City with their relative or friend. And even if they have an appointment, they don't necessarily know where the clinic is or how they're going to get there. They don't have a car. Um, They can't call us. They don't have a phone. There's not pay phones. to like go find to call and say, I can't make an appointment. So they, they miss that appointment. There's a no show. They don't have medications. And so we have this big gap where folks get out of prison and then get off their meds and they may feel fine, but the, the virus starts taking hold and they start getting sicker. And it's like a, I've been doing this for 10 years, tomorrow is my 10 year anniversary, and it, I met the guy at DOC that handles this when I first started, like the first week, and 10 years later, he's still there, I'm here, and nothing has, it's arguably gotten worse because we lost some grants that helped with this. And so people then get out and don't have the resources to connect for healthcare that they need, and this is a public health issue. You're on the public health committee, aren't I you?
1: I am on the public health committee.
0: You know, their viral load goes up; they become more infectious, and whoop! This is how we get more infections. And so, well, and until if they we... go
1: back into the system and they're incarcerated again, yeah. then they're more costly. So it's roughly yeah. twenty; it's just over twenty thousand dollars a year to keep someone incarcerated. That's for a healthy individual. Right. I've seen numbers as high as sixty thousand sure. on an annual basis for someone with the hep- hepatitis yeah yeah it's really costly yeah so it it i think it's important i think it's imperative that we get this right that we're um focused on it um that it's a priority uh the reintegration in, back into society i mean we've talked about a couple of those we we actually passed a bill um it was a bill that i ran for it was a request bill from city care and what it did was it allowed for a landlord of a facility, a residence that mm-hmm. had been purchased with the affordable housing tax credit. Right. For them to be able to rent or lease to someone with a prior felony conviction. Oh, right.
0: Because even that association would, would hurt the person that, yeah. that had the, the right. place. Yeah.
1: Right. So if you talk about we've, we've identified folks, now we're going to let them out we you know, and right. release them back into society. Maslow's hierarchy of needs starts over. You right. know, I got to have food, water, and shelter.
0: That's one of those things. Like, I have, you know, friends and some uh, family that have had past felony convictions, and they are good people, and I wouldn't think twice about letting them stay with me. But if I received a portion of my housing, like through this program. I couldn't do that because I would jeopardize right. my own housing right. and we end up like perpetuating this problem in, in families and keeping folks down.
1: And I think a lot of people don't, don't know that. I mean, yeah. they don't, they don't realize that it's set up that way. And again, I think sometimes it's unintended consequences, but do we have a group of people willing to look at it, address it, fix it, make it better.
2: Right. As we're looking ahead towards the second session, of the 57th here in 2020 um what uh what are your what are your top three you look at the landscape of the criminal justice system in oklahoma and if there's if there's three things that we can get done next year out of the legislature let's say um to improve where we're at what do you for you what are those three things the three kind of biggest impact most important things
1: I think well, it would be it would be criminal justice reform. Um, I think that we can make a huge impact because I talked about that from my private sec- sector experience. I think that's a money out um, area that we can we can do better. Um, I I would like to see us, and I believe that we will uh, get in front of Medicaid expansion. Uh, so put something forward uh, to stave off the initiative petition. Not not that I think it's bad. I don't even know what that what they're proposing but learn from 788 right so we didn't get in front of that and you got recreational marijuana (laughs) disguised as medical marijuana um so i'd like to i'd like to see that i think that's important um and the third one i don't know i'd have to think about that um
2: is there is there a particular aspect of criminal justice reform that you think would be most important to kind of make the priority
1: no okay no i mean because those two those two bills were were priority bills but they right. were very different in nature sure. um, so no not necessarily because we've talked about several different aspects and i think that sure. i think you can address it um it either one either one of those and you i mean that represents about five thousand beds i think yeah over a 10-year period sure it's a lot of money yeah half, half a billion dollars yeah
0: so you know one question we ask most of our guests is uh, we're big on citizen engagement, right? And mm-hmm. so um, from your perspective, why is it important for the people of Oklahoma to care about these issues? And how, what ways do you see that they can and should get involved?
1: Oh, I want to. Great question. I'm glad you asked <laughs> that. The third one, I, I, I've said this before. It, it, I was drawing a blank there. I was trying really hard to come up with that, and it just wasn't coming. Um, obviously, oil and gas is a big piece of our economy. Sure. Huge piece. Sure. Um, And as long as we have that resource, it will be. But I would like to see us continue to uh, encourage other industry to the state. Right. So I think we've done some of that. Yeah. Uh, I really love to see what uh, the lieutenant governor is doing and and his branding of Oklahoma and going out and being the face of Oklahoma and saying, hey, look, it's a great place to be. Uh, Come here. Yeah. Um, So that was number three. Sorry. And you're gonna have to repeat that question okay no problem
0: uh so you know one of the things that we really care about is citizen engagement and helping people get involved so uh, from your perspective what do you think why is it important for folks to be engaged in the discussion of criminal justice reform and and how do you recommend people get involved
1: well i think it's important um, because of some of the reasons that we've talked about um, in the idea of reuniting families um, getting other people's perspective being willing to walk a mile in someone else's shoes mm-hmm. i think that that creates community when you have community you can do a lot of you can do a lot of, you can do a lot of good um, how do you get engaged there's a there's a number of different ways i would i would go and and check out oklahomans for criminal justice reform website um, the interim studies follow those, um, on the legislature's website. So they should be posting those, which ones got approved and, and the schedules, um, and come sit in on those. Yeah. You know, yeah. you can, you can do that.
0: Yeah. People. So that's a, this is a good reminder that as you move towards the fall and these, uh, or the later part of the summer and into the fall, um, that as these interim studies occur, they, they are usually streamed on the legislature's website, oklegislature.gov. Okay, um, and depending on which chamber, it'll be on that chamber's site. Um, but you can also go visit. You can you sit can in.
1: Go, yeah, you can go and, and be a part of the meeting. So you can listen to it live. But, you know, I was asked earlier today um, with the, the first podcast that I did for the day. The lady that was asking the questions, she we talked a little bit about criminal justice reform, and she said, "Hey, I would like to be involved." Yeah, and I said, "I'll email you when we get the schedule and yeah. come see us."
0: Right on. Yeah, excellent. Representative Mize, thanks for being here.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me. Sure,
0: we appreciate your time. Thanks again to Representative Mize for his time and our previous guests on the series, Damian Shade, Ryan Gensler, and Brian Jones. Thanks to my ride-or-die co-host, Scott Melson, and most importantly, thanks to you, our listeners, for supporting our podcast, our parent organization, Let's Fix This, and, well, just for being the kind of people who care about making our state better and are willing to put your time and your money into making it happen. On that note, if you'd like to support our podcast, please consider making a donation to Let's Fix This at letsfixthisok.org donate. If you'd rather get something in exchange, besides just a warm, fuzzy heart, you can get some Let's Fix This merch. Go to store. As a reminder, next week we'll start our series on gerrymandering and redistricting, which is almost certain to be eye-opening for everybody. Also, mark your calendars for Monday, August 19th, which will be our next The West Wing Watch Party at the Tower Theater in Oklahoma City. We'll be watching the episode entitled The Supremes, And we're going to have a panel discussion right afterwards with Oklahoma's Solicitor General Mithin Maganzani and Assistant Solicitor General Zach West. they are going to be sharing their experiences working with both the Supreme Court here in our state as well as the Supreme Court of the United States, or SCOTUS, if you're a political nerd. Let's Pod This is a production of Let's Fix This and is edited and produced by Scott Nelson and me. Our theme music is provided by the Sugar-Free All-Stars. We want all Oklahomans to be active and engaged with their government because, well, that's how we fix this. Have a great week.